Blog Talk Radio. Gentlemen, welcome to the Rifleman Radio Show. The Rifleman Radio Show is dedicated to bring you the absolute best information possible on rifle marksmanship, rifle safety, <clears throat> on the absolutely sacred obligation each and every American citizen has to safeguard the freedoms and liberties that we enjoy by virtue of living in this nation. I want to thank everybody for listening tonight. We're going to have uh, Richard Duarte on. Mr. Gordy is going to talk about <clears throat> surviving natural and man-made disasters and from the perspective of an urban survival uh, type outlook. And uh, this is the, the second in a series that we're doing on the rifleman as a prepared citizen. And we talked to you last week about the the philosophy that a rifleman is more than just shooting a 210 or above on the AQT on an Appleseed Rifle Marksmanship Weekend. A rifleman 
is someone who is always doing everything they can to improve themselves, their family, their community, their city, their state, and their nation. And as a rifleman, you have a duty to yourself first, to yourself, to be prepared enough that you can weather situations, either natural or man-made disasters or cessation of services. And I say that you have a duty to yourself because you need to make sure that you're going to make it through in the best possible situation. And I don't mean just survive. I mean able to thrive in this type of situation. And you're doing this in order that you can provide leadership and support to your community because surviving is not the lone wolf Rambo style thing that uh, I think that a lot of folks see it as as uh, as uh, taking off with your with your machete and your backpack and uh, and your headband and living out the woods and peeking your way out uh, and surviving uh, and making sure that you're protecting your own and nobody's getting your your survival goods etc <clears throat> But that is that is a horrible vision of surviving. Uh, I don't know very many people that would want to survive in, in that fashion. Instead, you should be thinking about yourself as a leader of the community. That you're well prepared enough for yourself individually first. That you can then make sure that you are in a position that you can take care of your family. That means if you're a family person, then uh, you'll need to make sure that you are prepared enough to take care of yourself first and then take care of your family. And then in addition, to be able to do that well enough uh, by being prepared and pre-planned, that you can then provide leadership and support to your community. That's the whole idea uh, of being a rifleman and a natural or man-made disaster situation. Uh, this is not uh, this is not a uh, uh, even a thing where uh, the reality, of course, is not re- even a thing where it's going to be just you and your wife or your kids, and that's it. And you're locking the doors, and uh, and nobody else is coming in or out. Uh, it's almost certainly not going to be that either. Uh, because that's almost as dangerous a situation uh, as being completely alone. <clears throat> All right. Uh, the series will continue on tonight with Mr. Duarte. Uh, as I said, Mr. Duarte is uh, will be talking about surviving natural man-made disasters uh, from an urban standpoint. And then, uh, then in the next few weeks, We'll have additional folks that will be coming on to talk about uh, <clears throat> uh, self-reliance and prepping. And we'll also be ca- uh, covering certain subjects in a little bit more in-depth, uh, such as food storage, uh, things like that. And we'll have folks on there to talk to you about, uh, about the ways that you are going to prepare food for storage and uh We'll have uh, additional folks on to talk about uh, uh, about water preparation, uh, about uh, uh, emergency shelters type situations, and uh, we're going to cover this fairly in depth because 
it's not as bad today as it was uh, five or ten, fifteen years ago. Back then, it was very hard to it was very hard to find anything about this. A lot of the stuff when I first started, a lot of it I was just making it up as I went. Uh, and there were some people that that you could talk to uh, about it. Uh, nowadays, it's a little bit more mainstream, and I'm really glad because the more mainstream this is, then, then the more people are going to be able to take care of themselves. <clears throat> All right. Uh, I see that uh, Mr. Duarte is here, and I'm going to go ahead and uh, we're going to go ahead and bring Mr. Duarte on. Mr. Duarte is a uh, is an attorney over 20 years of experience, I believe, in Miami. And then over the last 20 years, he's also been uh, he's been working really hard on teaching himself and then teaching others uh, as much as possible about survival. And, and Mr. Duarte, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. And please call me Richard. All right, I will. And Richard, you've also written a book about it. Well, let's let's start off with, if you wouldn't mind, giving folks just a a, a quick uh, a quick uh, explanation of of how you uh, where you've been and how you ended up uh, in the place where you are today. Uh, uh, you know, Michael, uh, I, I am an attorney. I've been an attorney for about 20 years. I've done many different things. I've done litigation, bankruptcy, um, corporate work. Before that, I, I was an international banker, um, a certified financial planner. So you're probably, uh, a lot of your listeners are probably thinking, you know, this is the last person I would expect to, to write a book on urban survival. Uh, but I, I, I had a very interesting experience uh, many years ago, and it was my wake-up call. And I'll, and I'll be glad to, to talk about that and, and, and share that with your listeners. But that was the defining moment for me, and it was at that moment that I realized that I needed to do for myself. And I, I set about learning as much as I could, not only about uh, urban survival, but about self-reliance. And, and well, everybody I, has a Everybody has a different uh, a different story for something that flipped their switch on, and I know what yours is. But I, I'd like for you to tell folks what happened because uh, there was a there's a pre uh, self reliant stage of your life and a post self reliant stage. So what uh, what caused the switch to to flip in your life? Absolutely. Um, they say that South Florida is the hurricane capital uh, of, of the world, and I don't know if that's true or not, uh, especially uh, lately we we're seeing hurricanes all over the place, uh, especially in, in the northeast where one would never expect a hurricane. But if, if, if it's true, um, the community where I lived in 1992 was probably the bullseye. And Hurricane Andrew was brewing out in the Atlantic um, they, 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 they talked about it. They said it was coming. Uh, it was, the projected path wasn't clear, but they knew it was a strong hurricane. But I was what I would refer to nowadays as one of those people that was asleep. I heard the warnings. I didn't do much. I maybe, you know, took out an old flashlight from a kitchen drawer, uh, make sure that a couple of windows were boarded up somewhat. But that night I went to bed like any other night. We were watching TV. We put the kids to sleep. And somewhere in the middle of the night, I woke up and I realized I had made a horrible mistake. Um, 
I, I can go on for a long, long time describing the events, but to, to make it really short, uh, the, the front door exploded, the windows exploded, and uh, the best way to describe it is maybe uh, uh, one of those big freight trains that you see crossing uh, the, the, the road sometimes that the, the bars come down and prevent the traffic from going and you see this big monstrosity going by. Well, imagine that going at 150 miles an hour through your living room. And that's what it felt like. That's what it sounded like. The, the entire house was destroyed, uh, something I just never even thought possible. Uh, parts of the roof were missing. All the windows and doors were blown out. I had but one option at that moment. I, I ran into a closet with my family, and we sat in there for what seemed an eternity. And when we came out, nothing was recognizable. It looked like somebody had just dropped a huge bomb on the community, and all there was was, was rubble. And, and, and we left the house that morning with the clothes on our back and nothing more. But we were alive. And, and uh, you know, I, 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 it was very traumatic for, for us, for the kids, for, you know, for all of us. Uh, but I, I chose to make that uh, a learning experience. And, and, and it was the, the point at which I realized, you know, something's got to change. I, I've let this happen this time. And I was lucky because, you know, we're walking out of here today. But, uh, you know, Andrew, uh, there were 65 fatalities with Andrew. A lot of people don't know that. And and it was it was a horrific storm. It was a very powerful storm. It was a compact storm, but it was an extremely powerful storm. And it ripped through uh, my community and many other communities, uh, literally devastating uh, that, that that whole area for years. It was one of the most powerful storms to uh, to come ashore in the United States. And I think at first, if I remember right. It seems to me like, because I, I remember I, I'm a kind of a storm, uh, you know, uh, amateur storm watcher. But it seems to me like that I, I thought that they said that the, that Andrew wasn't going to come ashore at first, and then it made like made a hook or something, and did and did come barreling ashore. And uh, uh, the, the trajectory was originally uh, more northbound. Uh, it was supposed to hit the, the Dade-Broward line, which I guess it's a blessing it didn't because the area that it actually hit when it when it hooked south was a less populated area. So, you know, a lot of people were affected, but a lot more uh, would have been affected, and, and probably there would have been a lot more fatalities and a lot more damage. You know, as it stands, it's 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 the fifth most expensive storm in U.S. history at $26.5 billion dollars. Uh, you know, the top honors goes to Katrina, and everybody remembers Katrina. But, you know, a lot of people have asked me, why did you name the book Surviving Doomsday? Uh, you know, why such a, a dramatic title? And, and, you know, the only way I can explain it is because at that moment, when you're living through that kind of an event, it is your doomsday. Um, right. Forget zombie apocalypse. Forget the end of the world and a meteor heading our way. You know, at that moment, you know you're going to die. And there's nothing you can do. There's no one you can call. There, there, there are no options. You, 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 you literally are at the mercy of whatever has come your way, and and you just you're there. I mean, there's nothing you can do, and, and it's a horrible feeling of helplessness and a, and, a, and, a, and a feeling of terror that you know I just can't describe. Yeah, and I I read the uh, the uh, in the intro to your book, and listen while I'm talking about the book real quick, guys. If you uh, look at the uh, if you're in the chat room, we've got it there in the chat room. If not, you just Google Surviving Doomsday, Richard Duarte, Amazon Books, and you can pick up the book uh, right there in the show. You can grab a copy of the book during the show and order it and have it delivered to you. 
It's a great book. Uh, I, I'm three-fourths of the way through and reading it, but I can tell you right now it's a great book and well worth uh, the time and money for it. Uh, but in the intro to your book, <clears throat> you were talking about uh, the feeling that you had uh, of of letting your family down and the guilt yeah. and stuff that you felt for it. And I, I understand that completely because you... you if you're not prepared or if you if you misjudge something and you think, what have I done? What did I do? What have I done? And not just to, my, to myself, but what have I done to my family now? Yeah. So and, and I understand. This is, uh, this is a responsibility that you can never delegate to anybody or, or, or anything. Um, this, is, this is something that's, that's, that's firmly with you, and you, you, you either take care of it or you neglect it. I neglected it. And, and not not purposely, I neglected it because I didn't know any better, and my mind wasn't working. I mean, I didn't speak the language of of, of survival. That vocabulary wasn't uh, I wasn't privy to that vocabulary. So, uh, it, the thought of preparing didn't even occur to me. Well, um, I, I'm going to kind of jump around. We talked about uh, uh, about the uh, about what we're going to talk about uh, tonight, but uh, I'd like to uh, I'd like to switch one other thing, and that is. Uh, if, if in the uh, in the beginning of your book, also you're talking about uh, about having a mindset, developing a mindset to accept the responsibility to care for yourself and your family, and uh, and I'd like for you to talk about that because that is really that's basically where where you start this whole thing, and that is. Uh, you know, if you have a problem, uh, the logical thing for folks to do, if you have a problem, the first thing you do is you sit down and you say, okay, here's a problem. And you write the problem down on a piece of paper. And then you can start writing down what to do about it. But first, you have to accept that uh, that it is a potential problem and then develop the mindset to go after it. And and I want you to tell folks how important it is for them to to develop that mindset now and accept the responsibilities for it. Yeah. Well, the the good thing is that once that switch does flip, you never go back. There there just is no going back because it's almost an awakening that uh, it's a transformation in, in your personality and the way you think and the way you look at things. And that mindset is not only geared towards um, preparing for any eventual disaster or a, a public crisis, but it becomes part of your life. Uh, for example, you're a lot more cautious in, in, in your day-to-day -day, uh affairs, the, the way you go around town, um, uh, the, the, the way you conduct yourself in public, the way you expose yourself to others in, 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 in public. Uh, uh, you know, I talk about it in the book about how people walk around oblivious to what's going on around them. That That's part of the mindset of situational awareness, of knowing what's going on around you, being able to analyze what's going on and assess and realize when there's a risk and address it. And And, and that's a huge part of it. But you have to have that radar on, and, and you have to be aware of what's going on in your surroundings because, you know, as you say, um, it, yeah, disasters happen. They happen all the time. They happen to all kinds of people, and, and it's not just always the other guy because we always assume, well, when, when these things happen, they're going to happen to somebody else. They're not going to happen to me. Um, people find themselves in dangerous situations every single day. And sometimes they put themselves in those situations because they're not paying attention. But yeah, the majority of majority of the times, I think people do put themselves in those situations. Well, let's talk about then. Uh, let's talk about the the kind of situations that we're talking about because 
uh, I was talking to folks last week about this, and and whenever people, whenever you say the word uh, self-reliance or prepping or uh, or survival, uh, people automatically jump to the very end of the story. They jump straight into that uh, into the the sexy end of the world uh, through zombies or EMP or, or and stuff like that, and that is the that's the least likely. But what should we what should we be doing? What what what, uh, what kind of situation should we be realistically looking at? Uh, and and what kind of order would they come in? Yeah, I I don't like labels. Um, they 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 bring with them a whole uh, series of uh, preconceived notions uh, that people have. And, and prejudices, and I, 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 I don't like calling myself a prepper or um, th- th- those things really don't even matter because it's it's really what you do and not what you call yourself. You can call your you can call yourself a car and sit in a garage, and that doesn't make you a car. Um, what 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 I like to talk about and what I like to try to impress on folks is uh, it's about options, it's about choices, and it's about options. The choices you make today. And the decisions that you arrive at and the actions that you take will determine how broad or narrow your options are later on. And I'll give you a quick example. Let's say, for example, uh, you know, in, in South Florida, we even if we don't get a direct hit from a hurricane, we will oftentimes suffer a loss of power. We've been without power for upwards of you know almost two weeks in, in, in some situations. And I got to tell you, in the middle of the summer, Miami, 90-something degrees, all kinds of humidity, uh, houses that are not built for ventilation, um, that kind of weather, no electricity, you're in a lot of pain. You're, you're, you're in a world of pain. And slowly, little by little, people have realized, wouldn't it be good if we had a generator? So if, if, you, if you haven't thought ahead, you haven't bought a generator, you're not going to buy one at that moment because they're going to be five times the price if you can find one, uh, what you would normally pay because people start you know, taking advantage of everybody else and gouging everybody. But if you thought ahead and you bought a generator and you have a generator that runs on gas, now you've got an option. You have an option that you can keep maybe a refrigerator going, some fans. Maybe you could have a portable AC unit. Uh, it's not going to run your whole house, but it'll keep you somewhat comfortable given the circumstances. Uh, but maybe if you thought a little bit further and you said to yourself, well, what if there's no gas available? What are my options then? Well, you may opt for a generator that runs on gas and liquid propane. And now you've got expanded options because if you can't get gas, chances are that you've got uh, you know, some maybe some liquid propane, and uh, not only does it store easier, but you can have more of it around more safely. And and now you've got two options that that you may not have had had you not thought about that. And if you're really smart, and if you really think ahead, maybe you have a second generator that runs on diesel. So you know, again, decisions, choices, turn into options later on, and the wider your options. At the moment something happens, the better off you'll be. Because let's face it, none of us have a crystal ball. We don't know what's going to happen. We know what, what, let's say, for example, a hurricane looks like because we've experienced so many of them. But if you were to talk to me about some other disaster that's maybe wider in scope and more less localized, you know, I would tell you we, we probably have no idea what that's going to look like in reality. We have a notion, but... The more options you have, 
and the better you prepare yourself, the better you are to deal with whatever comes, regardless of, 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 of what form and shape it takes. Right. And, and but like, I, like I was saying a little earlier, a lot of people think that uh, when we are talking about uh, being prepared, uh, they're thinking that, uh, or a lot of people think that, that the only reason you have to be prepared is for something like uh, uh, like the end of the world or the comets or or maybe a, a big hurricane coming in or or a uh, earthquake or something like that. But yeah, those are the those are the least. Uh, I mean, we, there's like kind of an order that things go in, and you would put things like uh, the zombie apocalypse would be at the very very end of the order. That's that's like the least likely. We're not going to completely count it out. But it's like the least likely. But there are things that are, are that are more and more likely uh, as they come about. And, and the first one is, uh, or close up to the top, is something like you're talking about, uh, or like you and I were talking about earlier, was something like, uh, uh, like uh, if you don't get hit by the storm, but you get the uh, uh, power outage, so you're you're out of power for a few days, and uh, and and having a generator uh, to deal with that is a great idea. But there are there are a, uh, a hundred different, uh, there are thousands, probably different options between uh, living your your regular life and the zombie apocalypse, and uh, and people need to to realize that the the their prepping or, or their being prepared needs to take into account uh, take into account all of those, uh, take into account uh, everything from. Uh, uh, you know, from a one-day flood or or, uh, or or ice on the road for for one day or two days, uh, all the way to the uh, the zombie apocalypse thing. <laughs> now, look look at the fires in in Colorado recently. Um, that that's that's something that happens uh, with frequency. You know, maybe not in Colorado, but somewhere around the country, there's there's a fire. It, it, it grows out of control. Um, people leave their homes. Um, wouldn't it be great if some of these people maybe had a bag, whatever you call it, but you don't have to call it a bug out bag if you don't want to, but maybe a bag with um, some personal belongings, some food, a little bit of water, uh, contact information for their friends and relatives, maybe copies of their legal documents, maybe copies of their prescriptions, maybe an extra set of glasses, a spare set of clothes, the types of things that you would need if you had to leave your house in a big rush. But right. oftentimes, you know, you, you suggest this to people and, and they give you a look. They, you know, eh, nothing's going to happen. Uh, and I'm not going to be torturing myself thinking about, you know, something bad happening. And, and what they don't understand, it's not about gloom and doom. It's not about expecting the worst. It's not about being negative. It's actually about being positive because I don't know about you, but to me, having taken those precautions brings me peace of mind. Yeah, and you, had, you made a great point because that is exactly, I think, that what keeps a lot of people – from thinking about it, because a lot of people, they when they think about, uh, whenever they think about being prepared, they, like I said, they automatically jump to, like, a, a worst-case scenario or end-of-the-world scenario. And for most people, it's much easier not to think about that. If you don't think about that, then you don't have to deal with it. And uh, But if you do think about it, and if you do think about it in the form of, uh, like you said, about uh, I'm just going to be prepared because 
there could be any number of things that uh, that are going to occur in your lifetime, and they're gonna they are at some form or fashion you're going to you something is going to happen. You're going to have the power out. You're going to be uh, your neighborhood or your county is going to be in a state, or there's going to be snowstorms or ice on the road. Uh, there's going to be something, and you don't have to look at it. Uh, as an end of the world thing that you don't want to have to think about it. Like you said, you should you should be looking at it as a way of giving yourself peace. And uh, I was telling the folks last week that a lot of people that I talk to, they don't they don't want to think about it and they or they'll tell me, Yeah, I would really like to, to start getting ready but I just don't have the money right now and uh you know and I just you know they don't want to think about it. And if you start if you would start looking at it uh, as a very simple form of, uh, of getting yourself ready on a uh, on a smaller scale, I think it will. I think it's a lot easier for people to swallow because uh, what was it last night or night before last? You and I were talking about the, uh, a disaster, at least a, a disaster for a family. Can even be something like uh, like the the breadwinner of the house breaking a leg. Or breaking an arm. Say, say you're a uh, your job is in construction, and you break your arm or you break your leg, and you can't go and you can't work. And uh, and if you have if you have stored away over the last uh, over the last year or two, if you've stored away enough food to feed yourself and your family uh, for uh, for six months or a year, then that's a huge uh, a huge bit of weight that's taken off your shoulders. And uh, I think it can make you feel a lot better rather than than making people feel uh, the anxiety of it. Well, let's also talk for a minute about uh, local versus national events because uh, it's one of, when we're talking about the spectrum of things that are happening, it's also much more likely that a local event is going to occur rather than a national event. But there is a there is a big difference between the two also because if you have a local event, uh it's a it's happening to you and your in your city or you and your county or your neighborhood. And that leaves uh that leaves the folks in surrounding areas, surrounding cities and stuff able to help. But in a national situation, uh that may not be the case. So there's two different ways, two different uh, two different things that can affect you in in how that's happening, and then uh, I'd like for you to talk too about uh, about because you've worked this up, you've worked your information up from the standpoint of of looking at uh, preparing from an urban uh, standpoint, and how is that different? How is preparing in, uh, from an urban standpoint? Different than uh, somebody who would live rurally. Um, let, let's let's take those. Um, uh, one, I'll, I'll address the first point, which was local versus uh, national. Um, you know, we 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 always see local events. Let's face it. I mean, the, the the thing that's come the closest to being a national event in this country within our lifetime, I think, was 9/11, where uh, air traffic came to a halt. Uh, everything was just paralyzed. Uh, we were holding our collective breath, and, and, and no one knew what was going to happen next. And, and I think at that moment, uh, the entire nation was affected 
by what was happening. Um, the, I can't think of any other real uh, national events, in, at least in our lifetime. Um, right. And what happens in most instances, uh, for example, here we have a, a really bad storm, and, and, and it really affects a, a particular area. But within, I would say, a couple of weeks, you have crews from around the country that pour into the area, and they're fixing power lines. You have uh, all kinds of resources flowing in from different organizations. I mean, it takes a while, but eventually it happens. And the only reason I think we're able to recover as quickly as we as we have in, in, in many instances is because of, of that help that comes from other areas that are unaffected. Um, one of the things that I look at and, and, and worry about somewhat is the, the 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 day that something national happens that affects us all because then we won't have those other people coming in to help the affected the affected folks because they'll be affected also and we really don't know what that looks like uh we know what a national we know what a, what a local event looks like but we really don't know what a national event like for example let's say that there was uh, an event that uh, took down the power grid even for a short period of time, what would that look like? You know, do, 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 do we really know how many things would be affected, um, how many people and how many ways? Uh, we just don't know. So those are the types of events that we have no experience with, really. And how would we handle it? Uh, well, I mean, that, that's beyond the scope of, 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 of what we're talking about today. But I think what we can do as individuals is the more pre prepared we are and the more we learn and the more skills we develop because we have we haven't really discussed that but a large part of this and that's why I sometimes get frustrated when people say well I don't have the money to prepare well I mean education is a big part of it and education isn't expensive uh, at least in in this arena um, there there are lots and lots of, of venues where people can learn so much uh, uh, I'll give you I'll give you a few examples. Uh, I, I, we just did the uh, Self Reliance Expo in Arlington, Texas. I spoke at that event. I met a ton of people that came to to, to the event that came to our table uh, that heard me speak. Um, you know, there were a, a bunch of other speakers, uh, a bunch of other presenters, uh, lots and lots of great information. Next week we're off to the Doomsday Expo in Denver. And we're we're going to be there for uh, three days, and throughout those three days, there'll be a multitude of speakers uh, from from all different uh, areas, from all different backgrounds. And for the price of admission, which I believe is like fourteen dollars, people can come in and listen to back-to-back -back speakers for three days. So when somebody says, "I don't have the money to prepare," well, the first place they should start is read a book. Pick up a book and start learning about this stuff. Go to one of these events and, and listen to what the speakers have to say. These are people that have been at this for sometimes you know, 10, 15, 20 years that just by sitting there and listening to what they have to say for 45 minutes, you can learn what would otherwise take you, you know, a real long time to pick up. Um, the, the, there are lots and lots of, of sites on the Internet nowadays that provide fantastic information. Um, and, and it's not all about just buying stuff, throwing it in a closet and saying, well, I'm prepared. You know, I, I've got all this food. I've got this water. That's a part of it. 
and, and it's an important part of it. But I, I think even more importantly, you have to educate yourself and you have to understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. And the fact that it makes sense should be a motivator. The fact that it's reasonable, that it's logical, that it's rational, that you're taking steps to protect yourself and your family and that you understand the process, that, that that's a big deal. Right, right. And you were saying we were talking uh, just a minute ago about about the events being local and national, and we are, and we're lucky because most of the events have been uh, uh, local, and some of them have been regional. We've had southeast and uh, events like uh, Katrina, and uh, and to some extent, uh, I believe Andrew was almost a, a regional event. But we do have uh, we do have plenty of historical. Uh, information on that, like uh, the Great Depression, which was a national event. And then even more recently, we have countries that have experienced this because people think that, uh, well, a whole country can't go down. You know, it can't, uh, a whole country couldn't just uh, take a nosedive, but but they can. And we've seen it happen uh, four or five times in the last uh, 20 years. We have the whole uh, country of Argentina that just went down in flames. And uh, you can read the the uh, the history of what happens when a country uh, experiences that, and you can learn a lot from the folks uh, who have written about uh, Argentina's troubles. We have Greece. We've had uh, uh, Spain. Uh, yeah, we've had uh, uh, we've had uh, in the recent history we've had this occur. Uh, several times, so uh, and it can very easily happen uh, in a nation. Uh, I'm not going to say I'm not saying that I think it's going to happen for us. I don't know. I don't think anybody knows what's going to happen. Uh, I can I think that we we're certainly uh, looking at a possible uh, uh, reboot of our financial situation in America, but uh, it can certainly happen. So you need to people need to think about uh, not just uh, their home and their community, but they need to think in in the the, uh, the possibility of having to to experience this for long term. And I know that 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 does get to the point where people where it does get scary. <clears throat> but I think that uh, I think that as you said, knowledge is the key to this. Knowledge is power, and if you if you read about what these other people experienced and about what they did to bring their their selves and their families through it, then you're going to have a lot better understanding of how you could do it here uh, if it happened uh, in our nation. Uh, and and I, unless you had some more you wanted to say about that, I wanted to uh, I wanted to ask you. What you thought, uh, what your, uh, what the differences are between being a city, being in the city, and uh, and experiencing a natural or man-made disaster, and being in an urban environment. Um, you know, when 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 I when I talk about urban, I, I tend to really lump together uh, cities. Uh, uh, the suburban areas, because, like, for, I'll give you an example. Miami. Miami is really not 
uh, a city, if if you if you consider, let's say, uh, a city uh, at the scale of maybe New York City, we're we're not like that. We're we have a downtown, we have tall buildings, um, there there are very busy areas, but it, it's not New York City, and it, the, the 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 landscape tends to be more uh, suburban, but there's still uh, a, a tremendous density of people. You know, we we have quite a few people, one on top of each other. Um, we 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 don't have any natural resources per se that that we could take advantage of in a, in, a, in a situation where, let's say, the supply chain were to to stop. Um, we have uh, unrealistic expectations, and and those are almost universal. Uh, and what I mean by that is people expect um, to turn on the faucet and to have clean, fresh drinking water. In fact, some people don't even keep water in their house. When they want to drink, they go to the faucet. They turn it on, they get a glass, and they drink right from, from, from the faucet. Um, we're overly reliant on, on the, supply, the supply chain and totally dependent on electricity. Uh, I knew it was over the day I walked into a restroom and the toilets flushed electronically. <laughs> because when you get to the point where um, even flushing a toilet requires electricity, we're in serious trouble. And I, I, I think I think what happens in, in a situation where, you, where you're in an urban setting versus a rural setting is folks in rural settings are, uh, I'm not saying they don't use electricity and, and modern conveniences, but they're not as dependent on them as people in, in, in the cities and in the suburban areas. Um, if something's not working one way, they usually find a way to make it work another way. Um, in the city, we don't have those options. We don't, we don't have those choices because, um, you know, you have people living in, in, in buildings where they, they don't have uh, the option of going outside and maybe finding a stream and, and gathering up some water. And uh, although they may have to purify it, but at least they have the water. Um, Everything uh, is geared towards the assumption that the electricity is going to be on. So you have buildings where windows don't even open. So how do you achieve any ventilation the day the electricity goes out? There, there, there are no, uh, there's no natural lighting in many instances. Uh, so you have all these people, and it's almost like a house of cards that's been built on a foundation that was uh, shaky to begin with because the assumption that all these services are always going to be there, uh, that's a shaky foundation. Um, you know, we read every day about how the electrical grid is uh, being attacked by the Chinese, by the Iranians, uh, by other terrorist organizations. Um, they, we read about how the grid is vulnerable because um, a lot of the equipment is, is old. It hasn't been updated in a long, long time. It's susceptible to breakdown. Uh, the computers that, that run the whole system are also, in many instances, not uh, as, as modern as they should be. And um, it's a patchwork of many, many different companies that provide services throughout the United States, yet uh, there's, a, there's a huge vulnerability. But because it's never happened, people just assume that it never will. But yet right. we've built our entire society on the assumption that that's always going to be there. So the moment that's gone, everything else falls apart because that assumption was no, you know, is no longer valid. And and that's what I think you have in, in in these urban areas where there's a tremendous amount of dependency not only on the grid, but on the supply chain, and everything that functions around us functions because of electricity. The day that electricity isn't there. 
um, you know, we're in a world of hurt. Um, in the rural right. areas, I, I think you have a lot less of that. I think you have people that are more self-sufficient. They have there's a, a much less population density. There are a lot more options. There are folks that grow their own uh, fruits and vegetables. They, they raise livestock, or they have access to people that do. And uh, there's a community, which that's another thing that you don't have in, in the urban areas. I mean, you'll have neighbors that you've lived next to for 20 years, and you don't know each other because everybody's minding their own business and everybody's going about their own little thing. And very few people feel the need to reach out because, uh, you know, for the most part, it's, uh, it's not part of their routine. You know, they get up, they go to work, they sit behind a computer screen for the majority of the day, they come home, they watch TV. And where's, where's, the, where's the time in the day to do anything other than that? Right. Right. And, and I know that uh, at least for some folks, I mean, you're, you're talking, you're, you're right when you're talking about folks that uh, that live rurally. Uh, they have a little bit of a different, uh, a little bit of a different aspect. Now, first off, uh, we live about uh, uh, about 35 miles from a store, and uh, so so when we when we do shopping and stuff, we don't. Uh, we don't just go and grab something real quick. We, you know, we make a, a long list of the things that we'll need, and we try not to go to the store more than a, a couple of times a month because it's extra gas and stuff like that. So we 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 buy groceries usually in bulk, and uh, and we raise uh, our own food, and we have livestock and stuff like that. But I think what a lot of the folks uh, they hopefully they they realize it by now, but there's still a, quite a few folks I think they don't understand that uh, the food stores, the grocery stores and stuff switched over the way that they do they did things several years ago. Uh, before you know you would go to a store and if you didn't see something on the shelf, you'd ask the manager and he'd say, well let me go get it out of the back, let me go get it out of the stock room. And they would go get the stuff, and they'd bring a few cans or boxes of it back, and put it on the shelf, and give you one. And uh, and so they, you know, they would have extra that they kept. Nowadays, everything is uh, is referenced and and uh, taken care of by computers. You go get a can of uh, a jar of peanut butter, and you go through the checkout line, and uh, the thing scans it, and it tells them that if they've sold one can of peanut butter. And they need to add it to however many other cans that they sold so that the truck that comes uh like every two days will bring that peanut butter to replace it. They don't have it, they don't keep anything on the shelves anymore. It's uh it's all brought in on uh usually several times a week trucks that come in, places like Walmart and stuff have several times a week trucks. And so if if something happens to interrupt that process, uh most of the stuff that I've read uh, has said that there are there is only three to four days of food available uh, right. in any of the stores, and uh, I can tell you from going through it. I'm sure that you have too. I'm sure you can tell folks that the three to four day estimate of food on the shelves is a pretty big uh, overestimation. Big time, big time. There's there's I, I would tell you there's maybe three or four hours of food on the shelves. What you're describing is called uh, just-in-time deliveries, and companies, all big companies, have gone to that system because it saves them money. Um, 
inventory costs are lower for them, and they're able to stock the products that people buy as opposed to buying things that they hope people will buy. And the downside of that, obviously, is that there is no inventory in the stores. The truck comes in, the deliveries are made, the stock or the inventory, however you choose to, to call it, goes out onto the shelves, and that's it. I can tell you from my experience down here uh, in Miami, the moment any kind of tropical depression is announced anywhere in the Atlantic, the shelves on the supermarkets go bare within a few hours. And the products that fly off are mostly uh, the water. The water flies off almost immediately. There's batteries, flashlights. Yeah, batteries, flashlights, duct tape. Uh, people tend to buy milk, bread. Uh, you know, I don't know why because those things are going to go, you know, especially the milk and the eggs, they're going to go bad really, really fast as soon as the electricity goes out, but um, they tend to do all the things that they should have been doing all along. They tend to do them at the same time. And, and, and the analogy I use, I think I, I wrote an article not too long ago uh, for the, the Daily Prepper News, and it was about this. And one of the things I said is that, for example, uh, banks operate on a similar system. Banks keep enough money in their branch uh, never under the assumption that everybody's going to show up at the same time demanding their money. And if anybody, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, if everybody did, if everybody showed up at the branch asking for their money at the same time, the branch would run out of money within the first half hour. Uh, so stores are the same way. They, they operate on the assumption that there's going to be a gradual process where people come in, buy goods, but it's not everybody. And, and what happens here during, during, during the, uh, the, the scares, the hurricane scares, is that everybody remembers, oh, boy, I don't have anything at home, and everybody runs to the supermarket. So you have these long, long lines of people waiting to buy, and, and, and the supermarkets immediately, almost immediately run out of food and water and all these other things that people are hoarding because that's what they're doing at that moment. They're hoarding because they're hoarding. That's, that's it. Yeah. So that's it. Exactly. You I mean, you hit the nail on the head right there. They're uh, in most cases, they're not buying stuff that they have to have. They're probably in a lot of cases. They're not even buying stuff that they're going to use, but they're buying up everything in chunks and, and it leaves nothing for anybody else. Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. So we see that all the time, and we're used to that. So, um, you know, I've gotten to a point now where I, I just stay away. Anytime I know there's a, there's a storm coming, I just stay away from all the, the stores and all the markets because, number one, I don't have to be there because I've taken care of whatever I have to take care of long before. And number two, I don't want to get caught up in the craziness because there's usually a few people getting arrested. There's fist fights that breaks out because somebody got in front of somebody else or took the last item and both people ended up putting their hands on it at the same time. You know, they're fighting over a parking spot. Um, you know, you during a storm, during uh, before, during, and after a storm, you have all kinds of casualties, the, 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 le the least of which are people that got, actually got hurt in the storm. The majority of the people, the people going nuts prior to the storm trying to catch up uh, people during the storm doing all kinds of stupid things that they shouldn't be doing, and then people after the storm, uh, again, uh, they go into crisis mode and they lose all rationality, they lose all all sense of uh, community or cooperation, and they're, they're literally at each other's throats. So, you know, I look at that. I look at uh, folks on Black Friday uh, fighting over that $4 toaster at the big box retailer, and I see the 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 human the, the breakdown in humanity uh, almost immediately and and that thin veneer of uh, civility disappear and I say to myself what would happen the day that something really serious happens and and, right. and, and how are these folks that react this way 
to minor circumstances, how are they going to react the day they're really threatened? Right, and and like you said, the uh, the injuries uh, from storms, the majority don't come from the storms. They come from other things, from, from folks being injured in other ways. And uh, I think that's one of the things that folks need to think about, and that is the less you are out and about in one of these situations, the better off you are. And uh, and that being said, what are the uh, what are the basic the basic tenets of survival? Okay? We've talked about folks need, being needing to prepare. And what uh, what would you tell folks the the basics uh, things that they're going to have to look at? when they're preparing to survive a, a natural or man-made disaster. Yeah. I, I refer to those as, I, I call them the core survival elements, and they are food, water, medical, first aid, um, hygiene, sanitation, shelter, obviously, uh, and, and self-defense and security. Uh, those are the things you're going to have to look at and you're going to have to secure no matter what comes your way. Uh, again, you know, I, I, I tend not to focus on threats because, again, no one has a crystal ball. We don't know what's coming. We don't know when, how, who it's going to affect. But as long as we cover these core survival elements, um, we've done as much as we as, as we can. And everybody's situation is different. So um, the, the, the requirements for, for feeling secure are going to be different for each person. Like, for example, if, if you have somebody in your family that requires a particular medication on an ongoing basis, uh, um, you know, that, that's a concern for you. Because if you can't get to the pharmacy and if you can't get the doctor and if you can't get the prescription – or let's say uh, the the system is down and they can't they can't dispense it. Um, you've got a big problem. Uh, so uh, one of the things that I always tell people is besides having first aid supplies, which I think everybody should have, and 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 in, and in the book I, I list I have, a, I have an entire chapter on that, but I list at the end of the of the book all the supplies that I recommend people buy and maintain. Um, but one of the things I always recommend is that. Number one, keep copies of your prescriptions, and number two, keep extra, extra medication yeah, uh, to, to to cover yourself in the in the event something happens. Yeah, they've and, got that yeah. kind of jacked up right now. I know from uh, from getting medication for my folks and stuff, and a couple of times that I've had to get stuff that uh, the uh, uh, the it, 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 instead of just uh, even when the doctor writes you a prescription and you say, "Look, I'm going to get." Uh, uh, I'm going to get uh, three months of this, so I'll have plenty. And you go down to the pharmacy, and they go, oh, we can't do it because your insurance company says they only want you to have one month at a time. And uh, I think that some of that is absolutely ridiculous. And I know there's ways you can get around it, but that's something you need to think about, and that is ways to get around it. And in your yeah. book, you have the you have the uh, the basics uh, kind of listed in an order, and you start off with water. And uh, we kind of touched on that a little bit earlier, but water is very important to you surviving, uh, and it's the thing that you probably use most of every day. I talked to the folks last week about the fact that uh, when I talk to people about uh, about having a plan, preparing and having a plan, I, I get a lot of folks answering, oh, I've got uh, 
three rifles, a shotgun, and five pistols, and I've got a thousand rounds for each one, and and then that's the end of their plan. But you can't. Uh, you know, I was going to say you can't eat a bullet, but the, but that's slang for suicide. So I guess you can theoretically eat a bullet, but you, while you do need to have uh, for provide for security. Uh, it's more likely that you're going to have to have a drink of water than you're going to have to fend off uh, attackers. I mean, you're going to have to you're going to have to have a drink of water every day. So it's that's the most important part of it. And let's start off there with the water. Yeah. What, Hi- hydration. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying, what is your what are your recommendations for folks? Hydration is key. And, and water is the kind of thing that if, if you don't have it, um, you know, you're, you're, you're in a lot of trouble. Um, for those folks that don't know, I think the maximum that any human being can survive uh, without water is three days. Uh, but, but after the second day, you're not going to be of much use to anybody, including yourself, because um, you're going to be in really bad shape. So my, my, my recommendation is the first line of defense is always to have stored water. Um, some people store bottled water uh, primarily because they rotate it, and we haven't talked about that. But you know, rotation is a big deal with food, with water, with medical supplies, well, supplies with uh, prescription medications, even with other medications that you may store. Um, the, the 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 other way is maybe uh, to buy uh, 55 gallon drums. Uh, Aquatainers are really good. They, they're small, stackable uh, containers that hold uh, approximately seven gallons, and they have a spigot, so you can put it on top of a table and, and dispense from there. But, you know, however you decide to do it, if, if you're really down and out and, and, and you don't have the money to buy these things, I tell people save old uh, soda, you know, two-liter soda containers, um, other plastic containers. Wash them out, fill them with water. Um, they may taste a little funny when you drink it, but guess what? It's clean, fresh, drinkable water. Um, so when people tell me, well, I don't, I don't store water because I can't afford it, sure you can. There's lots of ways that you can do it. Uh, they, they also sell kits nowadays where you can put this liner in your bathtub, and in the event that you know an emergency is coming, you can fill your bathtub and you have drinking water, at least you know however number of gallons that, that holds. We're lucky we have a pool, so we could always draw on that. Although if there's any kind of a hurricane or something, you know, usually the pools turn green very, very quickly because it, it gets full of debris. And um, uh, since the filter's not running and you're not chlorinating, the water's going to go bad really, really fast. But uh, water is the first line of defense is the water. Uh, store as much as you can. And then obviously have uh, methods for disinfecting suspect water. If, if you run out of the water that you've stored and you have to go get water someplace else, um, you still have to disinfect it. You need chlorine bleach. You need iodine. Uh, you need a, a good quality filter. Uh, I, I recommend having redundant methods of, of, of disinfecting water. Uh, keep in mind that in an urban environment, um, all these methods will uh, kill uh, the uh, pathogens in the water, will not remove bacteria, I- I'm sorry, uh, um, pollution. So if you're in an area that has contaminated water, either from runoff uh, or from some other uh, some other uh, contaminant, um, you, you, none of these methods are going to clean the water sufficiently so that you can consume it uh, and still and, and be safe from from those contaminants. So uh, that's another area. You asked me before, what's the difference? That's another area where the urban uh, where the urban folks are at a loss because there are no natural 
uh, or very few natural ways of getting water from, uh, let's say, a stream or a river or something, because those that are present are usually contaminated. But uh, water is one of the well, most important things. Well, the guy, the, I was reading a report by, uh, I don't know if it was by EPA or Forest Service. I believe it might have been by EPA. <clears throat> but it, and it was pretty shocking to me. They said that uh, that they didn't, they did not consider uh, any water in the United States to be safe for drinking, either right. any uh, anything like uh, streams, ponds, anything like that. They considered no water sources in the United States uh, safe for drinking, and but, that's a very important uh, that was a very important thing for folks to understand. Right. Because you're going to get thirsty. You're going to get, you know, without water, you're going to be really thirsty. Uh, and you will be tempted to to drink from a stream or a pond or or from some standing water that you see. And, and even if it's crystal clear and it looks like uh, like there is nothing in it, you can't just drink the water. You've got to have some, some way to filter it. Uh, some way to treat it, because right. the last thing you want to do is suck up some type of uh, some type of bacteriological uh, pathogens and get sick whenever you don't have uh, when there's nobody there to treat you, or when the right. the medical system is over is over uh, overpowered by some disaster. Right, right, and, and and I saw that report, and, and it wasn't surprising to me because I've I've heard that for many many years, uh, but. Uh, that's a very simple fix if you're up on a mountain and you know that there are no factories or uh, other other uh, uh, pollutants in, 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 in the water. Um, you can very easily treat it with uh, chlorine. You can treat it with uh, iodine. You can even treat it with the sun under the under the same under certain circumstances. But in 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 most major cities, we know that there's a considerable amount of pollution. So those those methods are not going to help, at least not with the uh, pollutants that are in the water. So that's that's a disadvantage. But uh, in, in in rural areas, yeah, as long as you have some kind of filter, as long as you have something to uh, you know at least strain the water initially, maybe a t-shirt or a towel, and then t treat it with some chlorine bleach or iodine or, or, or some other uh, you know maybe a water purification tablet that'll kill the pathogens. That you know because waterborne diseases are are very very dangerous. And if you're drinking water because you think you're dehydrating, uh, that'll dehydrate you even faster. Right, and uh, and it's, there's this isn't a, there's not a, uh, a haphazard way of doing this. There's actually formulas for doing it. So, uh, and if you want to uh, to read those formulas, you can find them in uh, Mr. Duarte's book, uh, and uh, and you can really you can find it. Uh, uh, anywhere on the internet too, the, the formulas for putting the right amount of chlorine or iodine, or boiling water or, or stuff like that, you can find that. And I encourage you to to take a look at water because water is going to be the most important thing that you're going to have to uh, to figure out uh, how to deal with. And the uh, the amount of water that it takes for you to get through the day is actually a pretty large amount. And uh, I know for here in Texas, if you're just, uh, if it's a nice warm day and you're just sitting under a tree and the temperature is in the 90s, you're just sitting under a tree, not doing anything, 
uh, you're going to need uh, between a gallon and a half and two gallons of water just for you to drink. Uh, that's not counting anything else that you're going to do with it. Wash your plates off or wash your hands or anything like that. So that is a fairly large amount of water per person per day. So you're going to have to figure out where that water is going to come from. You're going to have to make sure that that water is drinkable water, that it's safe for you to use to drink. And when we talk about uh, safe to drink, that also covers anything else you're going to do with that water that uh, that comes into contact with your body. That means brushing your teeth or washing your dishes or, uh, or washing, washing your, your hands face. even. Yeah, even washing, washing your, your face, face, washing your hands. It's got to be clean water because if you splash some of that uh, um, water that has a, a pretty decent level of fecal collimeters in it and it gets in your mouth or on your plate and and you come into contact with your food and you've got it in your system, you're going to be hurting. And uh, so these are the things that you need to think about now and start getting figure, start figuring them out. We were talking last week about about the same thing, about <clears throat> planning ahead for water. And uh, it's not a hard thing to do, at least uh, to get started in. Even if you're in the city, it's not that hard a thing to do. You can, uh, like Richard was saying, you can start uh, saving your... Uh, the Coke, you know, or the the, the soda, the two-liter soda bottles. Uh, you can uh, save milk jugs and clean them out and put water in those and and start storing them. If you don't want to do that, if you want to be completely, uh, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to call it lazy. It could be more uh, uh, time-efficient about it. You go to one of the big box stores, and you can buy, uh, you know, 36 or 48 bottles of water on sale for for under five bucks. Uh, you know, you can pick up uh, one of those or two of those a week for a couple of months, and uh, you can get yourself uh, seven or eight hundred uh, bottles of water, and you can just stash them throughout the house. A couple under the bed here, a couple in the closet over here, and uh, and you can start getting a handle on the water now, but you're going to have to start thinking about it. You're going to have to start figuring out uh, a way to do it. One of the ways that I do it uh, with some of the water is uh, I always make sure that that there's never any empty space in my freezers. Uh, I always make sure that if there's, an empty, if there's an empty place in my freezer, I plug it up with either a gallon of water or a two-liter bottle or a pint, you know, a, a one-liter bottle or, you know, something like that. And uh, I plug it solid in there, and that does two things. It gives me water that I can count on, and it also uh, lengthens the amount of time that food will will stay uh, good in the freezer. Right. Yeah, yeah. And actually, freezers work more efficiently when they're when they're not completely full, but relatively full, versus when they're empty. So that's, right. a, that's a good thing. And, and if the electricity goes out, even if you're not home and you have some some frozen jugs of water in there, you're right. Everything in there will keep a lot longer because it's almost like a cooler that that that's insulated and, and you have ice inside. Absolutely. And and and, right. and you know, well, like uh, the the the, the, yeah, the other. Re- I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm seeing you. Go ahead. 
the the other reason why you want to keep water and you want to keep extra water, I, I, I always tell people two gallons per day per person is a, is a great uh, yardstick to start out with, but keep a lot more. And uh, the reason I say that is, number one, uh, some of it may be lost, some of it may be damaged, uh, the jugs may leak. Um, people may show up at your house that you don't expect and now all of a sudden you've got a, a, a problem if, if you've cut it that close. So water is one of those things that you can never have too much of, and um, you'll never be sorry for, for storing it. it it's, just, it's just something that's uh, indispensable, and, and, and you've got to have it. It, it, it. It's not something you can negotiate. Right, and I, that's one of the things that uh, we've been trying to tell folks, too, is that you can't, uh, you can't cut it close. And you have to understand that there are going to be, uh, no matter how well you are prepared, no matter if, even if you got everybody on your block, if you have them all prepared, you know, to the uh, to the fullest extent possible, there's still going to be people showing up on your doorstep asking you for help, and it may be uh, family members, it may be somebody, a stranger that you don't know, yep. and and while you can't give away things that uh, that would endanger you or your family's situation, you need to make sure that you that you are prepared to the extent that you can provide aid to people. I mean you have to you, you can't give away all your stuff, but you also have to you also have to think about uh, I always call it the reverse uh, thinking, which is uh, if my you know, if, if my father or my mother or my my kids showed up on somebody's doorstep asking for help, I would I would certainly hope that that person, uh, you know, would give them, uh, you know, a meal or or some water or something like that. And you have to be you have to be prepared well enough that you can provide support to your community. Yep. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm making a presentation next week at the uh, at the Doomsday Expo uh, in Denver, and uh, part of the presentation is a, is a is a PowerPoint, and I have some pictures of some of the folks uh, that were walking around after Andrew, and they had lost their home, they had no car, they had nothing but the clothes on their back, and they were walking around trying to find people to help them, and uh, I have a, a picture of one gentleman. Uh, an elderly gentleman, he uh, must be in his late 70s, maybe even early 80s, and he's uh, walking around in his underwear. Uh, he's got a shirt and a jacket on. Um, I can't tell I can't tell if he's barefoot or not because his, 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 the water goes over his knees. Uh, but you look at his face, and it, it's total desperation in, in, in his face. And this was somebody's neighbor. This was somebody's dad, somebody's husband, maybe. Um, and, and, and this man now has been, you know, um, almost taken down to a primal level where he's, he's just looking to be able to survive. And, and, and it sounds dramatic until you look at the picture and until you realize that this is something that actually happened right here. And, and you, and you look at it and you say, wow, this is, this is the reason why, we have to do the things that that we're talking about because if not, um, this is where we could end up. Uh, Richard, some, we had a, a caller a little while back. He said that the call center told me that he sent me a message saying that that you had told him to call in, uh, 
and I don't know yes. if he hung up or if he got bumped. Do you want do you want us to call him back? Uh, yeah, if we can. I mean, he uh, it's, it's Eric Fishback. He's the uh, he's one of the promoters. He's one of the organizers of the uh, Doomsday Expo. Um, I wanted him to tell your listeners a little bit about uh, the the show. They've they've got various. They've got this show coming up now in in, in Denver, uh, which is going to be an incredible show. Um, looking forward to it and. He's got about a dozen other shows that they're going to be putting on uh, throughout the country and, and, in fact, internationally. And one of the things that I that I really like about this 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 show and 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 and, and the way they they do it is they they really 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 focus on the educational aspect of this. There's there's no gloom and doom. There's no scaring people. There's no it's going to be the end of the world. Where are you going to hide? It's Let's learn about these things. Let's break it down to the common denominator. Let's explain it and let's bring it out into the open and let's show folks why it makes sense to do these things, why it's rational and reasonable, and why and why isn't every soccer mom and every soccer dad in the country um, doing these things for themselves and for their kids and for their family? Uh, it just makes sense, and 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 that's a and that's a big deal for me. Uh, I, I I want to make this as mainstream as possible. Uh, by all estimates, we're we're saying that maybe one percent of the population is prepared. That's 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 horrible. That that if you turn it around, that means that ninety nine percent are unprepared. And and, right. and you look at those numbers and you say to yourself, that's that's crazy. So these shows are doing a lot to to bring this into the mainstream to show folks that the people that are participating and and doing these things are not crazies they're not loonies they're not people living in in, in you know 20 feet, foot below the, the the surface of the earth in a bunker that come out you know once a year they're normal everyday people like like you and me uh we have families we have lives we have careers we have other jobs you know this is something that we do because we're passionate about it but it's not something that that uh dominates our lives uh, it's a part right. of it, but, but it's not everything. And 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 you know the educational aspect can't be overemphasized, and, and that's what I think these shows are doing. That's so fabulous. They're they're putting on uh, great speakers from around the country that come in and just put it all out there, you know. And like I said before, you could have people come in and for the cost of admission sit there for three days and listen to the best people in the field. So yeah, if if, if he's still on, I'd like. I'd like I'd like for him to speak a little bit, and, and if and if not, maybe we can try to reach him. Yeah, I got the I got a call screener now, trying to, to give him a call. Uh, let me ask you about this because uh, I I read uh, quite a bit about uh, the folks like in Argentina and stuff like that, and uh, and they have a lot to say about the the dangers of trying to go it alone. And how important it is to have friends and family members as uh, as resources and part of your prep or part of your group. Yes. Yeah. There there are um, there are actually a bunch of countries. Argentina is the one that comes to mind uh, when you speak with most people about this. But there are a bunch of countries that have been through some very traumatic. Uh, financial experiences in the last 10 years and and and, and I got to tell you my in my estimation uh as a former banker and 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 somebody who's been around uh the financial system for many many years I see a lot more coming down uh the pike um I see countries like uh uh Greece I see countries like Italy Spain Portugal Ireland um they're 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 holding on by by the skin of their teeth 
And uh, this week I'm reading that in Brazil, um, there are massive demonstrations. Uh, there, there's thousands and thousands of people going into the streets. They're being they're confronted by uh, riot police and tear gas. And uh, the the problem is, you know, and, and that's surprising because you hear how Brazil has been on a tear economically for the last you know decade or so. But unfortunately, uh, what we're hearing is that there are many people that haven't benefited at all from 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 that from that upswing. And uh, you 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 have uh, this tremendous lower class that's really hurting so yeah when we when we talk about it they're all, it's all around us it's in europe it's in south america uh, it's right below us in mexico and um you 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 listen to some of these experiences which i mean for the most part uh, the uh, we are not aware of these things unless you really look for them the american public really doesn't listen to the news uh, especially the international news uh, with any kind of regularity, and uh, we are largely unaware of what's happening in these countries. But because we have become so much of a global community, um, everything that happens over there affects us here. We don't know that yet, but we will soon. And some of these countries have been hurting for a long, long time. Uh, like you said, Argentina is, is is one of them where for uh, many, many years their their economy was just so depressed and people were going through such pain um, that they, they almost lost uh, – you hear about Japan's lost decade. They almost lost years and years and years because they were going backwards instead of forwards. Right, and, right. And but, I, uh... And, 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 you know, one thing that's interesting, Michael, is that those folks in many of those countries, even though they're, they're modern countries in many instances, uh, they're not as spoiled as we are. Right. You know, right. we have but, uh... much higher expectations. Uh, uh, even folks that, 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 um, that you wouldn't expect to have those ex they do. So for us, it's going to be a whole lot tougher uh, if something were to happen, let's say in a third world country, they'd barely miss a beat because they're already used to living in a certain way, uh, where they don't have the expectations of having running water all day or electricity. They may have only electricity maybe a couple of hours a day, so they've grown accustomed to dealing with that. You know, we go for a couple of hours without electricity, and we're already, uh, you know, going crazy. So it's the opposite. Right, but the uh, but the folks. Uh the folks that have been through a uh, an extended, uh, you know, natural or man-made disaster, they've always talked about the importance of uh, of having a group rather than uh, just themselves or just their families. They said there was. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I in all of the cases that I've talked to. about. I, I'm sorry. I, I'm glad for you bringing me back to that because I went off in another direction. But uh, you're absolutely right. Um, there's just no way that um, one person or even a family unit can do everything. Uh, and what, the example I try to give people is, listen, um, I'm good at this, but we also need people that are good at that. Um, I, I try to associate myself with people that have skills that maybe I don't have. Like, for example, I always like to have somebody around that has some medical experience so that if right. something happened, they, they can step in and, and help. And, and, and not only that, but I like to have a backup to that person because who knows? And I also like to have people that are handy. 
that can take a couple of pieces of uh, wood and, and put something together that can fix uh, an engine that maybe isn't working. That you know, we we all have different different talents and different skills, and when you bring them all together. Uh, now, 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 now you have a bunch of people that can help each other and cooperate, and that's the key. You you have to have cooperation, um, even with food, uh, with water, with communications. Uh, uh, in, in real life, uh, the reality is that few of us do anything alone. Um, we depend right, and of on course, if you're trying to if you're trying to uh, to do something as as simple as make sure that. Uh, you know that nobody is going to come in and steal your, you know, steal your food or try to break in and harm your family or something. You know, realistically, I mean, you can only be awake uh, for so long. You know, you're going to have to sleep at some point. So you're going to need you'll need additional folks that can help you to provide security or to or to help carry water uh, or to 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 help uh you know go and look for uh, usable items or food or, or try and find water and stuff like that. You you can't go it alone. I mean, it's just uh, uh, every in, in every situation that I've uh, that I've read about the folks who experienced it said that there's no way that they would have that they would have made it through uh, as just say a, a as an individual or even just as a family unit. They said it took a, a fairly large number of individuals to, uh, in order for them to to put together a group that was able to survive this. So it's important, I think, that you, uh, that you be thinking about this and that you, that you try and, and put together uh, uh, some friends or family members that uh, are willing to help you, you know, in a situation like this. I mean, talk to you, uh, like in the city, I guess, you could talk to uh, your neighbors, you know, I mean, sound them out about it and find out what uh, find out what they think about it and uh, get a couple of folks together that are like-minded and see if you can't, uh, if you guys can't uh, help each other, assist each other in putting together some kind of a program uh, to help you get through a situation like that, you know, making sure that, uh, uh, you know, you talk to the folks about it. Like, if the power goes off, what are you going to do? Well, you know, I'm going to have the, uh, you know, several flashlights, and I'll have this, and uh, and I can help you do this, or uh, you know, we can we can check on each other's families, uh, and use that as a starting point for putting together some kind of a plan for you to work with your to work with a larger group than just your family unit in order to make it through uh, a situation. Uh, we talked earlier, or you talked earlier about uh, having like a bug out bag so that you could go somewhere if you needed to. Let's talk about that for a minute, uh, because there are a lot of different, uh, a lot of people have different ideas on what they're going to do uh, as far as uh, hunkering down and writing out uh, whatever it is, or leaving and going somewhere else. And a lot of that, I'm sure, is going to depend on what you're experiencing. I have folks uh, before they've told me, you know, if something major happens, I'm just going to, I'm going to grab my bug out bag and I'm going to head to the national forest. And the only problem with that is that uh, uh, there's only uh, there's only so much national forest around places like Houston 
but there are 8 million people living there. And uh, see, the National Forest is going to fill up really quick. And uh, I hope they don't think that they're going to do a lot of hunting and living off the land if there's, uh, you know, 30 or 40, 50,000 other people living right there next to them. So as far as uh, hunkering down and trying to weather it out or leaving, uh, talk to the folks for a minute about that, about the reasons why they would stay or, or go and, and what they'll have to think about uh, for either one. Yeah, I'm, 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 let me let me define the terms first for anybody out there who's not familiar with them. Uh, bugging out is a term used um, to explain um, leaving where you are in a real big hurry with a sense of urgency and usually with not much time. Uh, bugging in is when you shelter in place, you stay put, you try to usually keep a very low profile and and really uh, stay put until whatever's happening outside your doors calms down uh, to allow you to do, you know, maybe do something else. And uh, bugging back, which I don't hear a lot of people use that term, but I use it. Bugging back is when, for example, you're at your place of business or at school or your office and something happens and you got to get home. Um, that's also uh, uh, a thing that people need to think about because a lot of people don't. Uh, but anyway, I'm not a big fan of bugging out uh, that romantic notion that you were describing before about grabbing the bug out bag and just taking off and, and living off the land and disappearing into a, a wooded area. Uh, I don't think that's very realistic. In fact, I think for the most part, it's fantasy. Uh, I know people that are capable of that. Uh, I know people that have uh, a high degree of, of wilderness training, and they don't even need the bug out bag. They can leave with nothing, go into the woods, and they do just fine. But uh, I, I know maybe one or two people like that of all the people that I know. Um, the, the majority of the public, the people that have no survival skills, uh, and I say that with no exaggeration, I, I don't mean that they have few survival skills. I mean they have no survival wilderness survival skills because that's something that's very rare nowadays. Um, they stand zero chance of surviving. Um, and, and if you have any doubts about that and if you think uh, maybe I'm, 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 I'm misstating that, um, try it out one weekend. Grab grab a, a bag with maybe 50, 60 pounds in it. Hike out 10 yard, you know, 10 10 miles into the uh, the, the closest wilderness that you you may find, and try to survive. Uh, out well, see first of all, see if you make it, because I don't think you will. Uh, most of us are not in that kind of shape anymore, uh, and and we underestimate the, uh, the the weight of the bag, especially after the first mile. But um, what 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 I usually tell people is uh, I'm not against bugging out. I'm just against it in, in the way that they think about it. I, I think there is a place, a time and a place for bugging out. And the example I, I tend to give people is, let's say, for example, your house is burning down. God forbid. Uh, and you have to get out really, really fast. Um, we talked about this before. Wouldn't it be nice to have a bag with all the things that you need, not only to get out and to survive in the short term, but to rebuild and reestablish your life, your legal life, your financial life, um, your, 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 even your mental and, and physical health, um, you know, the contact information of all the people you need, your financial information. Uh, these are all things that should be in a bug out bag and should be readily available for you to grab and get out very, very quickly. Think of all the people that leave their houses in the middle of the night in pajamas, the house is burning down and they don't even have their car keys. They don't have a wallet. They don't have access to any of the things that are now probably going to be in ashes in the morning 
um, and they have to start reconstructing their entire life from memory. That's a nightmare. But um, I think the most likely scenario in, in, in most situations is what we call bugging in, which is sheltering in place. And uh, most experts will agree that the safest place to be after, before, during, and after any disaster is probably at home uh, for a multitude of reasons. Number one, you have the home court advantage. Uh, number two, you've got your supplies if, if you've taken the time to, to maybe put some stuff away. Uh, number three, uh, you don't know what you're going to find outside your doors once you leave. Um, you, you may think that you're going someplace better, and you may actually end up someplace worse. Uh, you don't know what kind of people you're going to find along the way. And even if you have a vehicle, and even if the roads are clear, which they probably won't be, uh, and even if you do have gas, where are you going to go? And once you get there, uh, what are you going to do? Um, some people make very elaborate bug out plans. They have an actual bug out location. That location is stocked. Um, you know, those people have taken it to a whole other level. Not most, the majority of the people can't do that. They just don't have the time or the resources or the know-how to be able to do something like that. And even those folks, um, the likelihood that during a disaster, unless they have some kind of warning and they're able to leave ahead of the crowd, uh, we have two ways out of South Florida, the Turnpike, Florida Turnpike, and I-95. Those routes are congested even during rush hour. Five lanes, yeah. okay, going and five lanes coming on I-95, and you can't move. It's a parking lot. And on the uh, Turnpike, it's it's a similar situation. So imagine if during the day with just people commuting, it's that bad. Imagine what will happen during a, a massive evacuation. Um, most people are going to run out of gas on in, in the middle of the road. They're going to abandon their vehicles. Roads are going to be blocked. And who's going to go anywhere unless you've got a boat or an airplane or a helicopter? Uh, you're, you're just not going to go anywhere. So why even put yourself in that predicament? Stay home unless you have no other option and um, at least let things calm down a little bit before you can make an educated decision as to what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. Right, because, uh, well, like we were saying earlier, the, uh, the, the folks who have the plan of going to some place like the wilderness or something like that, uh, well, I think one thing they don't understand is that uh, is that if everybody else has the same plan, or if a good number of people have the same plan, there's not going to be a lot of stuff to live on. Because people are talking about uh, hunting, you know, living off the land and hunting, and uh, and uh, that's not as easy as people think it is, especially. If there are five or ten thousand or twenty thousand other people doing the same thing, I mean, you could have uh, you could have all the game, and the whole national forest could be uh, gone uh, in a week. And now, what are you going to live on there? Not only that, but you're any time that you throw yourself out in the mix and you start mixing it up with other people, especially out in the woods with guns and stuff like that, you're you're putting yourself at a really high risk. You know, I I. I ran a lot of uh, training missions out in the National Forest uh, in the United States. That's where we would uh, train a lot of different times. And uh, I actually got shot at uh, almost more at uh, in the National Forest than I got shot at anywhere else, uh, just by by crazy people. And uh, this is during a during a situation where there's not a a national emergency where where they could get caught and arrested. 
know, if you throw, if you put into folks into a situation where they don't believe that there's going to be any law that's ever going to come after them or or ever going to find out about what they do, then then you raise the chances of somebody doing you evil or somebody doing you harm. So unless you have some place that you've already decided to go, uh, I think that your I think that your safety is going to be enhanced by preparing your plan for a bug in. And uh, I know that uh, during things like uh, uh, like Katrina, say uh, that was uh, the closest that the closest thing that we experienced here. And you were, you were talking about getting out of the city and stuff like that. You know, in uh, in Houston, they had uh, they had everyone trying to get out of Houston, and uh, people couldn't make it. They couldn't get out of town, and uh, they even had uh, the folks who were who were running from the storm and uh, trying to save themselves. They had uh, a busload of folks that burned to death from just sitting on the highway. Uh, and not moving, so those people lost their lives because they because they did leave. And uh, during the next storm, uh, during uh, Rita, they said, "Okay, we learned our lesson. We've got it all fixed now, and we're gonna things are gonna be different." And they still could not get it right. They still could not they could, couldn't fix it, so people could get out of town. And anytime you have a, a mass exodus like that, I'm sure it's the same way there in in Florida. If you have a city that is spilling out, uh, you know, across to the rest of the nation, the the gas stations and stuff are they don't have uh, 100 million gallon tanks. They've got uh, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 gallon tanks, and as people are leaving the cities and nobody has any gas because nobody thinks to gas up their vehicles and have them gassed up free ahead of time, they suck all that gas out uh, of the stations as they go along like a big horde of locusts, and pretty soon there's no gas to get anywhere, and uh, and you're stuck. So <clears throat> trying to trying to ride that mass exodus uh, with everybody else taking off at the same time is a very dangerous situation yeah and and let's not forget the emergency vehicles that are also using the road that are trying to move from point a to point b uh the ambulances the police the 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 first all the first responders um they they usually try to separate at least one lane for them which even narrows down the 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 availability of lanes even further and right uh, uh, yeah, well, you know, one thing that I just thought about that I that I want to throw out there as you were talking about the gas is, you know, I've made it a habit never to allow my my tank to go below three quarters. And some people think I'm nuts, and that's okay. But the moment I see it heading down towards the three quarter mark, I stop and I get gas. I always like to have a full tank of gas, and I and I keep well, vehicles, you know, top it off. It, it's not like it's going to cost anymore because exactly. it exactly. costs the same amount. Exactly. I mean, I mean, it it costs the same amount to uh, to keep it full as it does to try and and fill it up, uh, you know, in a rush. Uh, and uh, and if you were going to plan about that, I think you should also, uh, as I said, you're going to have to think about the fact that uh, 
that there may not be any fuel. So you may want to, if you're planning on jumping in your vehicle and bugging out, you may want to make sure that you have uh, some extra fuel to take with you. And uh, I know that uh, for us out here, like I said, we live rurally. We live out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, whenever Rita came up, and they said they had it fixed, and uh, that they'd fix it, and, and you know, now that people were going to be able to get out of town, but they didn't have it fixed, and really nobody, nobody was able really to, to to do any better and get out of town. But nonetheless, there were people streaming by uh, our home here. Like I said, we're on just a little side road out in the middle of nowhere. People were streaming by our home uh, during this, and. Uh, and one of the things that that, uh, that that would let you know is that if you needed some emergency services, if you needed uh, medical or police or something like that, there's, uh, there's a good chance that you're not going to get any services because of the traffic and uh, because of, uh, I'm sure they're going to be needed uh, everywhere else. So. <clears throat> The 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 idea of uh, if you're living in a city of planning uh, to to bug in is probably going to be your best bet. You know, making sure that you've got a plan so that while everybody else is getting out and putting themselves at risk on the highways and going who knows where, uh, that you are you're hunkering down and you're going to try and accept. Uh, Whatever's coming, except the first wave of it. Now, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not telling you you should do this if it's an actual physical danger to your location. Like, like when you guys went through the, the hurricane, Richard. I mean, right. nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna tell you to try and example. stay there. Yeah. So you need to think about in a situation like that. You need to think about clearing out before everybody else. Right. And 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 if I had to do that all over again, uh, Michael, that's that's a very good point. I would have left. And I would have left because the hurricane was coming and there was nothing I can do about that, uh, nothing anybody can do. And, in fact, no amount of preparation would have stopped it. But I didn't have to be there for it. And I could have left. I could have gone someplace else. I could have let the storm do whatever it was going to do. And then I could have come back. Well, maybe not come back right away and maybe waited some time because, you know, everything that was at that house was disposable. Um, you know, the only thing that, that, that happened by me being there is that, you know, we, we, we had to endure that horrible event, uh, but there was no upside to that. So, yeah, absolutely. And, but, but, see, I would have had to have been thinking and I would have had to have been analyzing and looking at the options rationally in order to arrive at that conclusion. And I wasn't in that place at that time. And that's right. why mindset is so important. We, you know, you asked before, why is mind? You know, this is a perfect example of why mindset makes all the difference in the world. Right, because if you, because now, I'm sure that when they start talking about uh, uh, hurricanes possibly making uh, landfall in Florida somewhere, I'm sure you already, you already have a location that you're uh, that you have pre-planned. You've already, uh, you've already planned the route you're going to take. Uh, what you're going to take with you, et cetera. And, and that's what folks should be, uh, that's what they should be doing is thinking about uh, the reasons that they would stay and the reasons that they would leave. Now, if you got to leave, then you got to leave. But if you have to leave, 
don't wait and leave when everybody else is leaving. If it's something like, uh, and sometimes you don't have that option, but if you do, if you know that a hurricane is coming, don't wait till the last second. Uh, get your stuff uh, boarded up or locked up and uh, and take off. And uh, uh, don't put yourself and your family at risk. Okay, Michael, in the book, uh, I spend uh, the entire introduction and the whole first chapter talking about um, my experience and also my assessment of where we are today as a society and how we've become as vulnerable as we've become and 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 why and 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 what we can do about it and and the reason I spend that much time in that introduction explaining all that is because I want people to be in the right frame of mind when they actually start reading the substantive uh, chapters about the food, the water, because if you just throw this information out and people aren't thinking in terms of, oh, so that's why it's important, um, to them it's just information, and, and, and it doesn't speak to them. It's not relevant. Um, so part of what I do in the book is try to get people into the right mindset and thinking in terms of, okay, this is what we're going to do, hopefully, and this is why. And this is why it's going to make a difference. And this is a new way of you looking at the world around you because we, we, we all tend to be caught up in this fantasy. Um, and I call it a fantasy because, um, for example, you'll ask a kid, where, where does food come from? And they'll tell you. It comes from the supermarket. From the store. It comes from the yeah. store. You know, where does electricity come from? It comes from that little plug in the, in, in the wall. Where does water come from? From the faucet. What are you, stupid? You know, everybody knows that water comes from the faucet, but, you know, it's like a facade, and we don't know what's behind the facade. Uh, we don't know what goes into getting that water to our house or the electricity or the food to the market or all the different steps and all the different people uh, in the armies of people that are involved in the supply chain and in providing all the, the, the goods and services and the utilities. We, we're we not aware of any of that because we rarely come in contact with it. We pay our bill every month, and we know that everything works. But it's, it's, it's a fantasy. Uh, it's not reality. The reality is that there are many, many, many things that can go wrong, and for many, many reasons. So uh, my suggestion to people is not don't live in fear. Uh, don't sit around waiting for bad things to happen, because if that's what you're doing, if you're sitting around waiting for something bad to happen, something really bad has already happened. Uh, you've lost your peace of mind. And the whole idea behind doing all of this is so that you do have peace of mind, because once you can sit back and say, listen, uh, I've done, I think, just about everything that I can do given the circumstances and given the information that I have today. Maybe tomorrow something else will occur to me if, if conditions change. But as of right now, I, I think I've covered everything that I can cover. Um, there's, there's a lot of peace of mind that comes along with that. And, and, and there's a certain tranquility that, 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 that you, you, you have within you knowing that regardless of what may occur, uh, it may not be 100%, but you're in pretty good shape. Right. And uh, and once you develop a mindset, once you once you decide that, you know, that uh, you said to yourself, you know what, I'm going uh, to go ahead and do this. I'm going to do it because I feel like it's the right thing to do. I'm going to go ahead and, uh, and start preparing so that uh, I can be in a position uh, to take care of myself and my family, if uh, if there's a natural or man-made disaster, then uh, 
then that's the that's really one of the major hurdles. But once you've done that, now you have to get started. And uh, and I talked to folks last week, and I'd like for you to talk to them again today. And that is about uh, uh, why you should how you how and why you can go ahead and and get started right now. Uh, you and I were talking earlier today about, or maybe it was last night, about uh, about how I usually I'll have folks tell me, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd really like to get started, but, uh, but you know, it's a lot of money, and I'm, I'm waiting for this, or I'm waiting for that to get started, or I'm waiting to, to get this uh, this vacuum sealer, or I'm waiting to do this, and really, that's, uh, that's just a whole lot of roadblocks you're setting in front of yourself. You can get started uh, tonight with... Uh, with twenty bucks, and uh, and you could be uh, a lot farther ahead uh, than you will be if you wait. If you just if you go to the store tonight with twenty bucks and you get yourself uh, uh, you know one box of band aids from the dollar store for a dollar, and uh, uh, you know a sack of rice, a sack of beans, and uh, uh, and a container of salt to go in those, and one. Uh, one forty eight count uh, box of uh of water you can get all this stuff from one of the big stores for about uh maybe twenty bucks and uh and now now you're a you're a full day ahead prepared so uh, talk to the folks about how how important it is to get started uh, about get start getting started now and how easy it is to get started two two things um number one knowledge and skills will always be better than stuff. And when I say that, people usually tell me, well, but, but but isn't food and water? Yeah, but when you have the knowledge and you have the skills, you give yourself a multitude of options that you wouldn't have had um, had you not had that. And um, stuff that you may buy uh, may be here today and gone tomorrow, but the knowledge that you obtain, uh, especially if it's, if it's practical knowledge, that's going to be with you for the rest of your life. So I always tell people if, if 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 you're concerned about cost and and you you feel you don't have the money to get started right away, start by educating yourself. Start by learning the skills, and and the practical knowledge that will help you in 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 any of these events. What I've tried to do in 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 my book Surviving Doomsday is to make it as easy as possible for anybody to pick that up, pick up the book and get started uh, almost immediately. Why? Because you don't have to read the entire book in order to take the first step. You can read the chapter on water, for example, and get started with the water. You can read the chapter on food and, and, and tackle the food. And, and, and even then, um, forget about my book. There, 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 are, there, are, there are a million publications out there nowadays. There are magazines. When I first started doing this, there was nothing. Uh, nowadays, there are blogs, there are websites, there's all kinds of free information that's out there. I tend to read it as much as I possibly can, and I take what appeals to me, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I say, no, that's not good, and I just leave that behind. 
but I read it anyway. Um, you know, I, I like the uh, the Daily Prepper News, uh, Joshua Living Good. They, they they put out a real good uh, blog, uh, lots of good information in there. The the Prepper Journal, uh, Urban Survival Site is also very good. Uh, Off Grid News with Tara Dodrill, uh, Survivor Jane. Uh, these are folks that spend a lot of time and a lot of effort getting good information out there so that people can read learn and do because at the end of the day um, thought has to be turned into action in order for it to make any sort of difference so I, I, I tend to encourage people to learn as much as they can and then at some point or another they have to get started what I what I recommend is go to the supermarket like you said before uh, if you were going to pick up two cans of corn try to pick up four Try to look for the specials where they offer, you know, buy one, get one free. Uh, every time you go buy a little extra, buy the things that you normally eat because uh, that way you'll always have a good stock. You'll be able to rotate, uh, use the oldest item first, and then when you buy one, put it in the back. Try to keep it as organized as possible so that you can tell what you have and what you don't have. And do the same thing with the first aid supplies. Do the same thing with uh, your medications. Uh, little by little, there are many, many things that you can start doing on a daily basis. And the other thing I tell people is, listen, give up one night out a month. Um, if you're going to go out to dinner and spend 50 bucks, 60 bucks, uh, uh, take that money, uh, maybe make something at home, uh, not as fancy, maybe a sandwich and some chips or something, and take that money and invest it um, in, in buying some extra food and buying some extra supplies and in, in having the things that are going to matter. And, and there's no such thing as you have to reach this level of preparedness in order to, to, to have it make a difference. Um, I think if all you can do is stock a week or two of extra food, well, then that's all you can do. And you'll be so much better off by doing that than by having done nothing because you somehow got discouraged that if you didn't do three months, you weren't doing enough. Some people that live in the city, right. they barely have enough room to put their clothes in the closet, much less to stock, uh, go to Costco's and come back loaded down and, and stock all that stuff, but do what you can. Yeah, if you had, uh, if you have a week, then uh, then you you've gotten past that uh, three-day ice storm with no problem. Uh, right. If you have a week, that at least gives you a week to try and figure out what you're going to do next. Uh, it's the folks that uh, that don't have anything on their shelves that are going to be uh, they're going to be overcome by anxiety because they have no food and there's no way to get food. If you at least have something, then uh, then you're certainly better off than uh, than not having anything. That's why I try to encourage folks to absolutely that uh, that you should make sure that you are getting the knowledge uh, about what you need to do. But at the same time, there's no reason that you can't uh, go out. Uh, like I said, even just even just go out tonight. Uh, with twenty bucks and and get yourself uh one foot in the boot because uh, if you keep putting uh blocks ahead of you to stop you uh from starting to uh to develop a plan or to or to start getting supplies then and you won't ever get any so uh the one thing one of the best things people can do is just take the plunge and and I have folks telling me that uh, well you know i I'd like to get some 
some bulk supplies or something, but I don't have a vacuum machine or if I don't have the Mylar bags or this or that. And uh, I tell them, I go, look, you don't have to have any special things to get started. I mean, uh, uh, I've got uh, bags of pasta and bags of rice that have probably been in my cabinet uh you know, for a good uh, six weeks or or even six months, they're still edible. There's nothing wrong with them. Uh, you don't have to wait until you get this or or product A or product B so that you can start uh, preparing. You can you can start right now, right this minute, and you can be uh, you can be further ahead than where you were yesterday. And I think a, a lot of people. Uh, I know that I know from from being around folks uh, in the shooting industry and stuff like that. People, especially when they get started in shooting, uh, you know, they'll get a uh, like a twenty-two, uh, a Ruger ten twenty-two or something like that, and they'll start shooting it and they'll learning they'll learn that rifle, and and then uh, I'll see them again in uh, two or three months and I'll say, hey, how's it going? And they're like, oh, good. Hey, look, you should see what I got now, and. Uh, and they start collecting rifles and teaching themselves how to use the the different rifles. Well, it's no different whenever you are putting together a plan, a prepping plan. At least it wasn't for me. Uh, you know, you have a, a goal first of uh, of surviving one day, and you figure out how you're going to do that. And once you've gotten that, then you can set your sights on 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 being able to uh, uh, you know to weather three days. And uh, you just keep building on that initial block. So I think that uh, that getting getting started the the sooner the better. Yep. Yeah. The the, the first step is always the toughest, and then um, the, the the important thing is to just keep the momentum going in the right direction. Build on your efforts, um, whatever it is, even if it's just a little bit each day. I always have the radar on, and whenever I go to any store and I spot an item that I know will help me. Uh, and, and will assist in preparations, and it will be good for my stock. I pick it up, and if it's especially if it's at a good price, I just I'm there. It's it's in front of me. It's on sale. It's mine. <laughs> and and, and oh, yeah. I, I'm always doing that. I'm always doing that. I just never stop doing that. Yeah, listen, I did that last night, and I want to remind folks too about this because uh, I try every once in a while to mention it, and uh, and it's back in stock at Walmart again, <clears throat> and that is. Uh, they have the solar-powered yard lights on sale again, uh, at least uh, where I am. And uh, I always, uh, I've always, I've been pushing these for the last five or six years because the uh, Walmart, of course, now has them so cheap. You can buy the individual uh, lights for ninety-seven cents a piece, and you know these are designed to uh, to be decorational. You know, stick them in your yard and maybe make a lighted path or something like that. But in the event that you don't have electricity, uh, these things are, are perfect uh, to provide you at least with enough light that you can see to move about your house. Now, it's not going to light up a whole room that you can read, right. but uh, you can take two or three of these and put them in each room, and you can you can safely negotiate the room. Uh, I would say they're probably about uh, probably like a candle or a little less, and. Uh, you could put uh, five or six of them on your dinner table if you needed to, and uh, and see to eat your dinner. But for ninety-seven cents a piece, I'm telling you, 
these things are well worth the money. Uh, I've had a couple that have been running for two or three years now uh, out at uh, out on the shooting range. I have them at the uh, at the outdoor shower and at the uh, the outhouse. And uh, they've been running. They've been sitting out in the weather for a couple of years, and they're still running. So if your power goes out and you need some light, this is a, a perfect way for you to, uh, you know, to keep uh, something that will give you light. And it's rechargeable. You know, you just stick it out in the yard during the day, and it uh, recharges itself, and then you can bring it inside the house, and, and it can light your home. Uh, like I said, it, it's not perfect, but it at least gives you enough light so that you're not tripping on things, or uh, or you're not shooting at uh, at sounds. Uh, so I certainly would uh, recommend that. And then also uh, one last thing, real quick, is that they got uh, uh, they actually have a new excellent line of uh, of cheap flashlights at uh, Lowe's. Uh, Lowe's, I went there yesterday too, and I picked up uh, a handful of flashlights. Uh, Three bucks for the forty lumen ones, and uh, I think nine dollars for the two hundred uh, lumen lights. And uh, and you can never have too many of the flashlights. So and the the solar lights, uh, you can buy the ones that uh, that use the uh, the AA or AAA batteries, and you can use those to recharge your batteries. So they can actually work together on that. <clears throat> well, what other resources? Uh, would you recommend? First of all, like, I want to remind folks that uh, that there's your book. They can uh, Google uh, Surviving Doomsday and it'll take them to the Amazon site to, to pick up your book. And I recommend it. I think it's a great uh, book to get you started. Uh, and it's got a lot of great information in there that you can follow. Uh, and then you have a blog too, right? It's uh, Surviving Doomsday, the book. Okay, uh, and that is the and that's the blog address. Yeah, surviving Surviving Doomsday the Book dot com. Okay, Surviving Doomsday the Book dot com. I put it into the chat room earlier, but it's uh, it's gone down far enough that I can't reach it. But uh, that is your blog where you add information, and then uh, tell the folks again where you're getting you're going to be at. Uh, at several places throughout the year speaking, but uh, the next one is going to be in Denver, right? The next one is going to be in Denver next week uh, from the 27th to the 29th at the Colorado Convention Center. It's called the Doomsday Expo. I'm going to be speaking there. I'm also going to uh, be there. I'm going to have a table. Uh, the books are going to be available. Uh, and we we, we also, um, you know, talk to folks all day long. People will come up and ask us questions, and we're more than happy to, to answer those questions. And uh, it's a great educational event. Um, there will be lots and lots of speakers there from all around the country, all kinds of folks that, you know, you'd be hard-pressed to find another forum where you'd find all these, all these people in one place at one at one time and uh you know you, you're also going to meet lots and lots of exhibitors and vendors and you're going to see the latest products uh it, it's a great time uh they have lots of events planned raffles uh entertainment uh so if you're in the area drop by it's it's going to be a a really good event um uh the, the the book we have on amazon in paperback and we also have it in kindle 
lots of folks like the Kindle. I still like having something tangible that I can hold in my hand, that I can tab, that I can highlight, that if the power goes out, I know I could still read. Uh, so I, I always recommend the book. I think it's it's great if you like the Kindle. If you want to have that, that's fantastic. It, uh, but the book is, is, is really my favorite because of what I explained. And, uh, right. You know, one of the things that that I like about um, being able to follow the chapters is at the end of the book, I also include a list of items, a shopping list of sorts. And if you finish chapter one, for example, and you want to see, well, what should I buy? What should I be focusing in on? You can go to the back of the book, look at the list, and then pick the items that, that you want to start out with. And then go down the line little by little. If you want to buy two, three items each week, you, you have it all there in front of you. And if there's something that's relevant to you that maybe isn't in there, you could add it on. But uh, it's it's a good starting list to, to, to get you going in the right direction. So, um, the, 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 like I said, the book was intended for people who uh, – really don't have a lot of background in this, so it explains everything step by step. But I think even folks that have been at this for a while, they can pick it up and still get some really good ideas because uh, I've researched uh, the hell out of it. And uh, uh, it's based on practical, uh, you know, trial and error, right. mostly error. Right. Uh, I've, I've tried right. a lot of things that didn't work, and, and you know, I, this is the benefit of, mm-hmm. of, of going through that process. You, you, you hit on the things right. that actually work. Hey, Richard, we're going to have to cut it off. We're getting ready to lose everybody. So, uh, listen, I want to thank you so much for uh, for being our guest tonight. I want to thank everybody that uh, that uh, called in and all the folks that were listening. And uh, we'd like to have you back again. Uh, so, uh, I'll talk to you about that. But uh, thanks again for, uh, for being on tonight, and I hope you have a good time in Denver. Thank you, Michael, and thank, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. All right, you take care, sir.
Call this liberty 